In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by Jonathan Martin, author of the book, The Road Away from God, to talk about navigating the loneliness and uncertainty that many find themselves experiencing after leaving the safety and security of a spiritual community behind. This week's conversation is based on the topics and themes in chapter 18 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoy today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and joining me on this episode is a very special guest. I am going to be talking with Jonathan Martin, who is several things. You are an author. You are an author of books such as Prototype, How to Survive a Shipwreck, and your newest book, The Road Away from God, which we'll be talking about in this episode. You are the director of the Center of Spiritual Life at DePaul University, which is pretty cool. How... Out of curiosity, what, what does that all entail? Just, I'm curious. You know, it's, it actually is curious. It's really fun and interesting. So about half of it is traditional Christian chaplaincy stuff. So yeah. more like the, the pastoral stuff that's sort of in my bag, the stuff I've always done um, with just with Christian college students, which is great. But the other half of it is um, more interfaith work in terms of the center is where we house like uh, all the work we do with our Hindu students, our Muslim students. Oh, okay. Um, it's beautiful because uh, while I love interfaith conversation and I've done that a lot, I've never done anything like kind of interfaith proper. Yeah. So as a Christian minister, being able to be part of holding that space has been just phenomenal, like the greatest learning experience of my life. I'm having such a good time. So that, that part has been really, really cool. That is really cool. And before, I mean, we'll get into more of your story and backstory, but, but first off, I wanted to back up and just say, Jonathan, thank you for being here. How are you? Oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be here. So appreciate what you're doing and the conversations you're facilitating sure. are so near and dear to my heart. So just I'm I'm thrilled to be able to do this. I'm doing great. I mean, it's the last week is as you know, um, we talked about this a bit before. And a it's week wild. We've been <laughs> moving and I drove uh from Oklahoma City to Albuquerque to uh speak at a little event there. So kind of coming in hot, but um also it feels like a a time of kind of settling in yeah. and doors that are open. So really good, just like full on for sure. But I'm, I feel great. Good. That's awesome. That's the best feeling too, is you, you're exhausted. You're doing a lot of stuff. But it's like, no, oh, this is what I'm being meant to do right now. This is good. It feels good. That's right. Absolutely. Then how, how about yourself? How are you? Oh, this is the first time someone's asked me that. You get points for that, John. <laughs> no, I am good. I really do care. Yes. So. Thank you. No, I'm doing well. I'm excited to, I mean, this is episode 18 of the podcast and out, out of the first season's 23 episodes based on the chapters of my book. And we're on the, la the last kind of turn here. And it's been fantastic having these conversations. And I feel like we're just getting, mm. getting started almost because these guests are flying in. And it's just such good conversations that are, that are helping people. So oh, that's wonderful. I, I love that you can play a part in this episode because I, I was so excited to get you on here once I read your book. And we'll get into all mm. of that. But to start off, I want to ask you the question I ask every guest on the show. And it is... Why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Well, um, I feel like my life, it's, it's the kind of thing where nothing about who I am or where I come from can be separated from my faith journey. I sure. mean, when my, my grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher, mm -hmm. 
and my father is a Pentecostal preacher. So having deep roots in the soil of that kind of sweaty <laughs> Pentecostal revival culture, yeah. I was uh, sort of half jokingly referred to myself as a hillbilly Pentecostal, but it is more like rural yeah. Pentecostal. Uh, I always say kind of like the unhip Pentecostals is where I come from. And that's so in me. The tradition is so in me. It's it's defining in, in all kinds of ways. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think even though I find myself at all kinds of strange and wonderful intersections now, I still feel like that fundamental orientation of, you know, this this idea of the power of the Holy spirit Mm. and experiencing that in very fluid and dynamic ways is ultimately what shaped me to be who I am the way I, um, and I do say this actually a lot to people where I I come from when I have these conversations, like if you don't like where I am now, y'all are still responsible because you taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> you if, got if you me here. Me how to listen to the Holy Spirit, right? That's right. I wouldn't have had to, to move as far as I have. Sure. Because yeah. you know? <laughs> that's, that's the thing I still love about Pentecostalism is the God of the Exodus who's always on the move. Yeah. And so that means you're never standing still. And there's a lot of that that's been wonderful, even though culturally I'm very aware <laughs> that I'm not exactly a... Um, a typical Pentecostal at this point. So yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really funny. And one more thing I wanted to add too, before is you're also in one of your credentials, you're also the host of the Zeitcast, which is a podcast going, how long has it been going on for? Oh, let's see. It's probably, I guess probably, I guess about three years now okay. for the Zeitcast. And that's, oh, if you guys want to go check that out, bunch of cool, I don't know, a lot of just, you span a, a broad variety of different musings and conversations and thoughts just with yourself and talking to the reader. There's different things like that. It's really, really cool stuff. So I love that as well. Oh, I appreciate it. It's a lot of randomness. Oh, it sure. is. But I think that's, <laughs> thinking back, I think that's how I found you, is I was looking at different mm. podcasts as my book was coming out, and I was doing podcasts trying to be in that world a little bit, and I found the Zeitcast, and that's how I came across you. And then I found your Instagram page, and then I found your new book. And now you're here. So that's oh, how fantastic. it goes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, okay. So your newest book, The Road Away from God, I read it. It's amazing. I want you to take a moment to give people who may not know about the book a rundown of it. Uh, why did you write it? What's the central message you hope readers will receive through it, et cetera, et cetera. Give us the full picture. Well, um, The Road Away from God feels like in many ways it's come out of an unending conversation I've been having the last few years with so many friends, so many people who I love most in the world. It's interesting because the my last book, How to Survive a Shipwreck, was, I don't know if like all my books are sort of half memoir, but that was such a, kind of came out of such a raw, almost trying to write my way to shore. Mm. Um, I was really afraid of this sounding or feeling like a shipwreck part two. But you know, it. what's interesting is that I don't feel like it's exactly a product of my own faith crisis. I mean, I have my own disillusionment to be sure, sure. to contend with. But at the same time, I feel like in a weird way, for all the things that I'm uncertain of and all the questions that I have, I do feel like in some ways my own sense of faith, my own sense of connection to God feels more robust than it's ever been, even though the expression of it has changed yeah. radically. But, you know, for most of the people I care about, and I, I do be most, that's not where they are at all. Yeah. And so I really felt like in a lot of ways this is a love letter to my friends in terms of one, hoping to give a sense of permission, because I feel like a lot of folks just don't. And I don't mean that to sound like pretentious, like I'm not some authority figure. Right, right. 
but folks are on these kind of journeys where they feel like I'm walking this road, but I'm not supposed to be. I'm asking these questions that I'm not supposed to, or I'm afraid of where the questions are going to take me. I'm afraid of where I might land. Yeah. And so wanted to give people really a, a sense of permission, like, yeah, it, it's it's absolutely okay to take what can feel like an unauthorized road and wherever it leads you is where you where it leads you. And the tightrope with that for me is trying to both give a sense of what that has looked like for me, which has been a kind of coming full circle in terms of faith, but also giving space to where like, hey, absolutely, your journey doesn't have to land the same way. Yeah. And you don't have to come to the same conclusions. Um, or else I don't think it's a genuine journey. I mean, even sure. the um, not not to get preachy with it, but I do think so much about the image Jesus gives us of the the in the story of the prodigal son. I mean, the the father does give his son yeah. the inheritance early. Uh, you know, you like you get to walk the road that you need to to walk. So I wanted to be kind of a sense of permission, and and maybe more than anything, just to hoping people people would feel a little less alone because my experience has been almost everybody who walks any journey like this ends up feeling like they're on the margins, yeah. outskirts, or maybe all the way outside the communities who told them who they are. And I mean, in that sense that like all of our communities tell us who we are. That's how relationships work. The people that we have been in community with contextually that defines us. And when all of a sudden we basically don't have those relationships anymore because people tell us that, you know, we're, our beliefs aren't right. Um, The stuff you, something you posted on social media, um, a political disagreement has you like outside the fold that's a real crisis. So um, just, just hoping to make help people feel a little less alone and a little more sane, maybe in the midst of all that. I've mentioned on this podcast, I mean, several times in conversation, I've brought up that idea of identity when it comes to mm. any community, but spiritual community, it tends to even, I don't know, hit a little deeper in your identity because it's tied to eternity and salvation and the deep yes. meaning of life. Yes. And I mean, my book, is through the perspective of a church kid, someone born into the church from day one mm-hmm. and then leaving uh, sophomore year of college, 19. Mm-hmm. And a big component of that is, yeah, like my parents joined when they were in their mid-20s. And mm-hmm. they still found so much of their identity in not just church, church as a whole, sure, and those theological things, but also our church and our specific yeah. ideas and our specific ways of doing things. and 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 the way I presented myself and the way people, people knew me as in this context, when I leave that, and therefore any, any community, you don't have that anymore. And for my parents and people who join when they're halfway, I mean, not halfway through the life, but in mid-20s, mid yeah. it still reaches such a deep part of you. Whereas for someone born into it who never had any opportunity to gain any insight to who they are outside of this one community context, when they mm-hmm. leave, they're not just leaving the part of them that was made there, they're leaving all of you. All of us. That's what it feels right. like. That's right. Um, so reading your book, I immediately resonated with that. And that was something that throughout the entire mm-hmm. book, it's one of those things where, where if you're able to make someone believe in the first pages and the first chapter that you're writing it for them, then they're on the rest of the mm-hmm. ride because you know, okay, this person always already gets where I am. So I trust them with the ride of the rest of the book to lead me somewhere or tell me some insight of where I could be. And that was the experience I had. So that's props to you because mm-hmm. especially... For people who have maybe been hurt, maybe have a lot of questions or uncertainties or doubts or all kinds of things like that, it feels sometimes that the road is a bit narrowed for yeah. the insight they're looking for and almost the, the willingness to, to reach out for that branch just to be pulled a little bit further because 
things have mm-hmm. happened and there's some trust things and there's some whatever. So to prove legitimacy in that, in those margins to people like me that are in that, mm. you threaded the needle very well. So I love that. Oh, well, I'm so grateful you felt the way Austin. And, you know, and, and of course, while I do feel like I've charted my own sort of, there's a spirituality that's working for me now. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, the disillusionment, the disenchantment, the sense of, well, in the outright, the, the people, a lot of the folks that I've learned everything I know about God from going in radically different directions and yeah. saying things now I can't even fathom and being completely like off the grid. Yeah. I, I do feel like, and, and this is where I feel like people who haven't had significant experiences of church can't quite grasp this. This isn't like, you know, I was on the swim team and now I'm not. Right. Uh, I, w- I did this hobby for a while and now I'm not. And I'm like, it's like, this is, this becomes an all consuming these relationships become so defining for us for better, for worse. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's all you've known, mm-hmm. you, you, there's really no way to do that different. I, I actually think it's not dramatic to say this is maybe just under death. This is kind of right there with divorce yeah. in terms of like, you feel like you're, you're being ripped apart yes. in this kind of transition. And I just think folks who haven't really walked that road don't understand. This is really not the same thing as like, ah, oh, that my, I, now I don't get to go to my favorite restaurant right. anymore and I have to find another, you know? I need to find a new context where I identify and where I can right. find my identity and where I can gain those relationships and find that place where I feel like I fit again. Because for a while, it was yes. for me, like I fit in this church. It was not just where I fit, it's where I belonged. I believed it. Yes. And for that, for that time, it may have been, right? But then a time comes where things happen and you realize, okay, I may not belong here anymore. I may not fit. I don't think this is the place where I can grow. I don't think this is the place that's best for me. Mm. So I need to leave. And regardless of whether I leave or like, I know it's the best decision, but still me leaving, I feel like I'm leaving a lot of me there because I can't take it with me because it doesn't fit outside the walls of that church where I can't, I need to find right. a new, sometimes you don't even, you're not that far yet in mentality where I need to find a new, you just need to get, I need to get away from that. I don't know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of where your book comes in is, okay, I've, I've stepped out. I may have a desire of where I want to go and an idea. I may have no clue, but I knew I needed to be out of that. But what, mm. where is God? Where am I? Where is my direction? What's going on? So that's where your book takes place here. And you were on for episode 18, I've mentioned, and this is based off of chapter 18 of my book, which is titled A Lonely Road. And mm. it's all, I mean, as you can probably guess, it's about navigating that uncertainty, that loneliness, and that questioning of your path after leaving a spiritual community that, that for, you know, for either a long time or in some cases all of your life had dictated the faith mindset and so much of your life for, for such a long time and how you defined yourself and the world around you. So mm-hmm. along those lines, this is a general question, but what are your thoughts either in the book or otherwise about loneliness as a whole and the place that we can find ourselves after deciding to walk away from a long familiar faith community or context? Oof. Well, I mean, that's been my experience. I think for so many people, it's, it's, it's profoundly lonely. Um, for one, and I love that you, the way you captured this, most anybody who leaves doesn't know where they're going. I feel like that's the nature of it. Yeah. You get to a place where it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I just know I can't stay here. Exactly. And very and rarely. And that's enough for right now. That's right. That's right. 
but um i mean you're alone on so many levels it's like there's a sense of um you're not walking with a community that you've walked with before i think then you still have that that voice inside of you from all those years of being formed in a certain way that uh all the self-doubt of well how do i know that especially when people have told you don't listen to yourself yes uh listen to me uh so well maybe this is the flesh maybe this is the devil mm -hmm. maybe this is just my own desires and i'm not submitting to god like whatever yeah. it might be i just like the echoes of that even after you recognize that it's toxic it takes a long time to sort of be reprogrammed out of that. So I, to me, that maybe is the thing that may, I've never, I don't think I've ever thought this much, I've said it before, that makes this word the most lonely is that then you're kind of locked in with all that self-doubt. Mm -hmm. So even though you've started moving on this road, you don't feel you don't feel sure about it. You don't necessarily have a new community that's walking with you. Yeah. Even when you start to find a lot of those folks, they're as fragile and as frazzled as you are because they're also... Yep on the outskirts of other yeah of a of a community and so you know that that's just a really scary place to be especially when the community you had before there was a lot of certainty and your role was very clear and uh where you fit where everybody else fit us and them all of that had really clear boundary lines yeah. and now everything's everything's blurred so i just think all of that adds to that sense of the alienation that we feel no i mean that's so true is we're alone physically many times. We're alone emotionally. But then that's a big aspect of it is we're alone. We feel like we're alone in the mindset and the thought processes because we don't even feel like we're intact ourselves in our thoughts, in our beliefs, right. in our because I mean you hit on something that's so true there is many, not all, but many unhealthy spiritual communities are built around are are enforced by these ideas that limit self and yeah. really push the the dependency on the larger entity to guide your direction your thoughts what you, you can't trust yourself that's huge it's it's a reliance mm -hmm. on that mediator between god and you and so when you that's leave right. the the best level is you simply don't have the training wheels to know how to recognize yeah. and utilize that worst case is you you've learned that that's there but you cannot associate with it at all because you can't trust it and there's a fear right. of that there's a questioning of that and that's so that's so strong it's always there mm -hmm. i love the way you articulated the the dependence on that mediator because something i'm thinking a lot about right now is that i still crave and i think everybody craves elders mm. uh, i think on any kind of a journey spiritual otherwise um, it's healthy to have elders but my definition of that has changed so much because now my sense is I actually think what true elders do is release people to go on this kind of journey. Hmm. Like they want you to be able to, and I mean, think about that even like beyond sort of Christian communities, yeah. the kind of classic way that an elder, like you sort of release the child into the wild um, so you can go encounter the things that you need to encounter so that you can become what you need to become. So I, I'm now, I'm just becoming more and more suspicious of the idea of elders as people who tell us what to do. Yeah. Whereas actually what we really need is elders who trust us and who release us to say like, okay, yeah, you may be lonely. Maybe this is going to be really hard, but you need to be true to this thing that's inside of you. You know, the road that you need to walk. And we'll actually bless that and, and encourage that. So I think there's still a role for those kind of voices. Yeah. It's just, but it's not the kind of authorities that maybe we were used to back there. Right. I mean, it's, it's, 
offering the tools, offering the things they've learned, offering the wisdom that they have. That's what, I mean, that's what the, the basis, I believe, of an elder. Let's go back to the, whenever they said, let's have an elder. It's because, oh, they're wise. They've lived. They know that's some right. things that we yes, don't. Yes. And oftentimes in my church and people I've talked to, it's the elders and also just other leaders that have been there for a long time. They have fallen into the belief that they're simply there to tell us what to do and what not to do. That's it. Right. And then they give us scripture, they give us this, but it's to enforce those, those ideas, not, not encouraging us to gain those roots ourselves, but just kind of to say, oh, this works, this doesn't, don't do this, or else, or do this, or else. And yeah. that wisdom may back up some of those things. I'm sure some of them, you know, they're not all bad ideas. Some are good ideas. Not backed by wisdom. But so many of them seem to get squelched, which it's almost a disservice to that person's yeah. wisdom they've learned. Because everyone, whether someone finds themselves as a leader of an unhealthy spiritual environment, they have wisdom mm-hmm. they've accrued through some part of their life that they have to offer. Sure. But in some cases, they even fall victim to being in part of a system. They tend to, they now believe, I have to do this and this and this. And they end up That's hurting right. people in their own views of God and their own journeys, but they themselves don't get to share that wisdom that they've learned. And they, they, yeah. they change it and compromise it for, I don't know, rules and boundaries and rigidity. And it's, it's a bummer. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's a bummer. It's so sad. And see, and I'm so with you. I think it's not that all of everything within the systems is wrong or that yeah. none of it works. But what I am becoming increasingly convinced of is that coercion never works. Yes. And what's so tricky about that is so then even if it's a good idea, when it's presented with a gun to your head and it's do this or else. And and, and that's what's so sad is that that's why even ideas that are good oftentimes don't, it doesn't even work for them. Yeah. But when I see it over and over again, at a certain point, if someone is alive long enough, um, experiences enough real life long enough, they're going to hit an iceberg somewhere that's going to wake them up. Because yeah. if the only reason you're making certain decisions in your life is because you feel like you have to, and you don't feel like you're deeply able to choose your own life at some point, that's going to backfire for everybody, yeah. you know? And I'm, and I'm convinced. I, I just, I just think that's like a, just a true human principle. You have to be able to feel like you're fully choosing your own life. So inevitably it's, it's not, it's not evil. I don't think everybody, it's like some kind of maniacal control. No, yeah. I think people often as folks often do in parenting, it comes out of a sincere desire. Well, I don't want you to get hurt. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, oftentimes the heart in it can be very sincere and all that, but, uh, and it also can still cause a lot of harm. Yeah. That's, I mean, so much of my book being in those, middle school, high school years mm. is about that dynamic with youth leaders and these people who mm. do love us and want the best for us. But usually what happened to us either in their own lives or in, or in students in previous years, something happened where, where oh, a mistake was made or, oh, we did this and it worked for us. So therefore, yeah. you have to do it this way because it works. Okay, right. it worked for you. It, it's not maybe on paper a bad thing. But it sure. may not be the best thing for me in my context, in my walk. And that's a big thing to learn is, and this is a whole different thing, but with the Holy Spirit, the margins of acceptability widen mm. increasingly because it's no longer, oh, do this, don't do that. It's, oh, let's see where God is telling you to go. It may be different for me, but it's right. still acceptable. And it's not even just acceptable, it's beneficial. It's good because that's exactly where he wants you to go. It's maybe the very first time 
that he's told you to do this and all your friends have been told to do mm-hmm. something else. But if you completely yeah. believe in it, it lines up with the Bible and you, you know that God wants you to go there, then, oh, all right. As an elder, I've given you the wisdom to know to discern that voice. And he's leading you somewhere that didn't lead me, but I know I gave you those tools, so I trust that he's leading you the right way. There you go. You that's know? right. And that, that's, that's, right. that's a huge dynamic shift for so many of these churches that have fallen for that, I don't know, that lie, I guess, that yeah. everything is black and white, and there's a list of do's, a list of don'ts, a list of mm-hmm. good, a list of bad, and it's just not true. There's some things, of course, mm-hmm. that are, that, that, that you don't do that because the Bible says no, and don't do this because it's not going to do anything good for you. There's no possibility that's mm-hmm. good. But then there's so much gray area where it's not sin and not sin. It's just things in the realm of life that you're able to be led to or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I think Austin, I'm, I'm so convinced at this point too, people also need room to authentically make mistakes, even yes. going to the, you know, the, the prodigal journey again. Okay. We really do, uh, Richard Rohr says this so well, we really do learn more by falling, more by getting it wrong than getting it right. Like, yeah. this, is, this is where we learn so much. And, mm-hmm. and I, have, I find this so ironic now that all, almost all the people in my life that I think of as being the wise, not to say there's no exceptions, sure. but most of them, had at least a season in their life where they made significant mistakes. And actually, I feel like the ones who were allowed to make those mistakes earlier in the journey are the ones who turned out to be the healthiest. Where yeah. the, the ones who never felt like a sense of permission are the ones who it's like at 50, all of a sudden the walls are, yeah. you know, kind of crumble of themselves because, again, never felt like they were able to choose their own lives. So I think sometimes, you know, just being able to make your own mistakes even – um, so that you can come to some of these conclusions for yourself, also important. So that even if decisions aren't always the healthiest, it's still a person's decision to make and giving yeah. room to be able to like, ah, I don't know if this is going to be best, but you know what? There's there's space for you to, again, to, to walk where you need to walk. I think that's yeah. also space that people need. There's space for grace. Like, that's it. Yeah. There's space for grace. Yeah. I love that. that. I mean, that's such a big thing, too, is the mistakes, is you have people sometimes in a church who are 40, 50, who have never, I mean, they've made mistakes, but never made a, have, have been so long imposed to these boundary lines that they've stuck to mm. because it's life or death. And okay, yeah. great, you haven't, you haven't done some terrible thing, at least that anyone knows about, in, in 20 years, great. But then the branches of the way they experience God and the way they interact with faith mm. are a lot shorter because they haven't, they haven't, being able to reach out further across those boundary lines to see that God exists out there too. And oftentimes right. in greater proportion, because the further you are from, I guess, safety mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, actually lean on faith and being able to fail and live authentically, the further you are from safety, the more you have to rely on God. And the more you have to That's fall, right. when, you, when you fail, the more you have to rely on him and realize it's not me because I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I love that, that there's, there's, there's space for grace. Mm. And that goes right into this, the, the coercion, and you, you get so used to this certain lifestyle, and, and you may love it. It may, it may work for you, because it works for a lot of people where, where you, you're, you're strained far from the, the boundary lines, and yeah. you've been, you're, you're almost given a, sheet, a one sheet of, okay, here's good, here's bad, here's what you do, here's what you're not. So everything's mm-hmm. defined for you, for better or for worse. You may not be growing and seeing God in such an authentically in a, such an authentic way as you could, but you know kind of the context of where you are, and it's very defined for you, and it's safe. Right. When you leave, you don't have none of that. It's gone. Yeah. And you have to make everything for yourself and find God yourself. 
So your book, in your book, you talk about this idea I love about God finding us and coming to us, mm. that dynamic, rather than just the soul dynamic of us seeking and finding him. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that idea and talk about that, particularly in reference to, to those of us who find ourselves walking in a direction away from spiritual community or the one we knew and feeling like we're walking away potentially from where God is? Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, and maybe even to back up just a little bit, because I love the, yeah. something of what you said just uh, hit to me. All, all this is so connected. I love what you said about what you start off with a sense of safety, yeah. kind of within the rules. And it's always important for me to say now that I don't think that's bad. That's just there's different stages of faith development. And yeah. I think this is kind of the same thing that we see even in um, the canon, even the development of scripture is sort of like what we get in the first five books of the Bible. It's yeah. like much of the law functions that way. This is, it can feel a bit like don't touch the hot stove because I said so. Uh, also, you'll get burned. And it very much was like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? You know, yes. So, <laughs> and, and, and there's a, a season in our lives where we need that. And mm-hmm. I think having, so it's not wrong or does it mean it didn't serve you in any way to ever have that in your life. Right. But I think as we go, if all the weight falls on us to seeking God is my responsibility, I just think inevitably that becomes, and again, and I say this to someone with such deep appreciation for my tradition, but I feel like we, it's everything was so like, you know, if you fast long enough, if you pray <laughs> hard enough, there was such an, I mean, such an emphasis on seeking God. And it was always such like, if you'll just grit your teeth and yeah. stay at the altar for four hours, right. you can have it, you know, everything kind of, kind of work that way. It was so much, so much on willpower, yeah. like in that way. And part of what's been really fascinating for me, and it's why I can't help but write about these things. I feel like in this way, how to survive a shipwreck in this book are deeply connected is that weirdly enough, so many of the the experiences that I saw when I was younger, when I was just, and I mean, honestly, Austin, like such a, just squeaky clean, like doing everything I could possibly do to keep the rules. Not saying I was perfect, but boy, I was trying really hard. I mean, like there was no, like just everything was kind of between the lines and all that. And I feel like so many of even the sort of more mystical experiences of God, these this connectedness I wanted, I always felt like an outsider looking in. Mm. And it was so weird that kind of in the second half of my life, I'm 45 at this point, okay. um, everything that I've experienced since the the times that I've known what it is to be like more flat on my back. Yeah. Oh, those things have actually happened to me when I wasn't looking for them, when I wasn't trying to manufacture something, right. when I wasn't trying to make it happen. Because I think that's just the nature of the spiritual life is exactly when you're not trying to force something, when you're not trying to coerce something, um, that we're in a place where God can happen to us. The And I can't believe I've gone this long talk, talking about all this without talking about the running metaphor of the book of the yes. road to Emmaus. I mean, uh-huh. That's the center so, of, the, of the book, the context of the metaphor. Yep. And I managed to not say anything about it so far. So two disciples, of course, walking away from Jerusalem uh, in disillusionment, despair. Jerusalem, of course, is where the temple is, all of life oriented around. So for me, it's significant that Jerusalem is now a crime scene because it's where they've seen Jesus of Nazareth killed. Mm-hmm. And I, I do a lot with that. But um, what I love about that journey, if you read it as there's something going on with the fact that they're leaving Jerusalem, leaving temple, leaving church, leaving institution in yeah. disillusionment, despair, Jesus comes and walks alongside them, but they don't recognize Jesus yeah. as Jesus until this miraculous moment in the breaking of the bread. I I just, to me, there's something so powerful about this idea 
that God is on whatever road that we're walking, mm -hmm. but the gift that we need is just the recognition to be able to see God on that road. Uh, but there are no roads that, you know, that, that, that God's not on. It's just such a different grid than um, are you on the right road? Did you make the right choice? If you didn't, boy, if you'd have gone back there and you could redo it, see if you would chosen door A rather than door B, you could have the life you want. Yeah. But you chose the wrong one. So sorry. Um, it's that's so that's so confining. But um, I just love the idea that if you know if God actively walks these roads to get to us wherever we are, then there's infinite possibility. There's at any given moment a person can wake up, see the activity of God, see yeah. God walking alongside them in ways they haven't recognized, in ways that can shift the whole story. And so that's just to me that's so much more hopeful than mm -hmm. this idea of me always needing to to find God, hunt for God, track God down as if God is elusive, you know, right. which is the opposite of what we get in the spirituality of the Psalms. You know, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there, yep. go to the furthest parts of the sea you're with me, like all of that. I mean, if God really is that present with us, wherever we are, then maybe I don't need to be spending so much time and energy in all of this pursuit of a God who is always pursuing us, is always with us. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Two thoughts on that. The first is that idea of, of being taught that we have, to, we have to find him and him being elusive. It's this idea sometimes that's promoted that God has to be earned. Yes. You have to earn his attention or his, his interest in you by proving mm -hmm. that you're worthy of it in some way by, by, by praying more, by fasting more, by being more present at whatever, being more at the church services, whatever. And it gives off this huge impression that God just isn't inherently interested in us at all. Right. And there are so many people, so many people, Christians who have been taught this idea that, that, that God doesn't want us as we are. We're not worth yeah. anything to him. Yeah. So we have to show him that we're an extra dedicated Christian to even right. garner his attention. And then he'll give us some time a day, a little bit. Right. Until the next day when, we have, when we're back at zero, we need to pray again and fast again to get back just that five minutes of attention, right? And that's, right. that's just not who God is. He no. is so enamored by us. When you just think about everything that's been done and set up for us in life, just for the fact mm -hmm. that, right, as Scripture says, just for the possibility that we'll seek him and reach out for him. Mm -hmm. just because he's already there. He gives, he has set up every single thing in our life, every context, every yes. element, so that we have the greatest chance of just, just that direction points just to him, a little bit more to him. So we can just be, he can, we can see that he has his eyes locked on us 24 seven, just waiting for that's us to right. come out and, and lock eyes with him. And that's such a big thing. Um, and the other aspect is that different side of the same coin is that it's such a different dynamic hearing that. Oh, God seeks us, and you can find him on any road. When mm -hmm. you've grown up in a church that proclaims, oh, no, you're only going to find God here. Right. Or right. at least you're only going to find God in his purest, truest form here. Anywhere yes. else, yes. God's either not there or it's just a lesser, not authentic version of him. So if you leave this place, yeah. good luck having a better connection with him than you are here. Yeah. Both are contexts I grew up in, and both are are just so freeing to realize, oh, no, he is mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when you realize he's everywhere, all of a sudden it's not, 
oh, he's 100% in this church, 0% out there. It's like, wow, if I stay in this church only, I'm missing out on so much of him that's out there. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and I love the contrast, you know, of you talked about how we often hear that we have to earn God's attention. Whereas the thing that I continue to learn is that I really believe so much of it is just about coming to pay attention and uh, we're so different. And again, this is tricky because I find myself, I'm so not wanting to strong arm anybody into believing anything, but even for some of my friends, I feel like are, have experienced so much hurt, disillusionment, disenchantment, pain, like all things. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear that like very sincere heart cry of like, Oh, I just don't, I don't see the divine in anything. I don't know where God is. I don't like, Hey, I don't want to push anybody, but there's so many moments where I'm like, oh, and I see now these ways that you're surrounded by new community and they're all, all these beautiful things that you're coming to see that you couldn't have seen before. And just all this grace that's happening. And I think like, oh, there's just something about that, having that moment of recognition where we're able to trust our own eyes in that way. It's like, oh yeah, actually, I I just know there's been an awful lot of times in my life where I feel like the very things I've been praying for and maybe even complaining, you know, I don't have really are right in front of me because I haven't recognized yet. Oh, I'm still talking about my lack of community when, oh, I think maybe I have ambled into a new community. Yeah. (laughs) But it's still so strange and so different. The form is different than yeah. what it was before. That's which I, what I feel like happens with, with the disciples. Jesus is not in the form that they uh, experienced before, so they don't recognize him as Jesus. And, and I feel like that's what's yeah. happening for a lot of people now. The The form that new life is taking is so different that it still can kind of feel like, oh, well, I don't, well, nothing's happening. It's all still dead. And, I'm, and, and I really feel like for a lot of folks, it's like, uh, you might be further, you might be closer than you think just something yeah. that's new and beautiful and good uh it's just that the the shape of it is so different from what we were taught to expect i love that is for the first time maybe seeing and not recognizing something like jesus or god because he comes in a different form than the one way you've been accustomed and taught to find him and recognize yes. him as and stepping out in that first time may be a little tricky realizing oh that's god i can experience god this way oh he mm-hmm. does this Oh, I can find him here. And but once you recognize that, like, whoa, how many ways I was missing out on. That's wild. And yeah. it's such a cool revelation. And that's happened to me. I mean, there was a period of time once once I left my spiritual community that I grew up in, was born into, that I was like, first off, do I even want God? Do I even want this? Because sure. it, it sure. didn't get, do me much. It gave me some things, but it also left me with not much, it felt like. But then it didn't take long for me to recognize. It took a while for me to recognize it. But once I recognized, I realized I was experiencing it very early on since I left mm-hmm. was, wow, because I kind of painfully left the context of how I define my world, it was painful. But yet, as soon as I let those go, I didn't have to, have to siphon things into my view of what it was. So I just take it as it is. And I realized, oh, wow there's a lot of ways to experience this and experience God. And he's shown me a lot of things that I just wasn't, I was unconsciously not open to seeing, mm. not realizing that I wasn't open to it because I was looking for him over here where I was taught he only is. That's right. That's right. Okay. So another aspect I want to talk to you about is this idea that you talk about for a couple of chapters in your book about the idea of home, which yeah. you talk about it for a while and it's, it's really, really great from your perspective. Let me start with this. 
what, from your perspective and what you write in your book, what is home and what's that dynamic with home? Mm. Big question, but <laughs> however you want to answer that. It's funny because I feel like I probably would answer it a little different every day. And even exploring mm. the question in the book, I don't, I don't think I really answer it. It's kind of, that was probably the, the first half of the book was stuff that was so in my bones for a couple of years. Not like I, I knew what I was doing, but I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, but I realized that sense of where is where is home? Where is all this going? I, I realized I had no idea. And that was the thing I was still <laughs> trying to write my way into. And hopefully I discover something yeah. of, of what this means as I go. I mean, I think, you know, also, I mean, even early on, when you talk about kind of the way in spiritual communities, we have a sense of belonging and um, that I think is so crucial to what it is to have a sense of home, especially when home for us has been, I don't, has a geographical component to it, like this, you know, the sights and sounds and smells of a particular place and a people, which are important, like all of that matters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if home is more connected to this deep sense of belonging, where you're able to bring your whole self, part of what I think has been at least the shift in me, there's that, um, there's that verse in Luke where Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. And I actually think, oh, something that has not served me well is that I have spent much of my life really trying to find that sense of home that's important to me, but still kind of looking for it out there. Whereas I think what I'm coming to believe is that whatever home is more or less has to happen in here. And if you have it, if you come to a kind of home in here, then I think there's a way you can be more or less at home wherever you are. Maybe another way is still not quite at home wherever you are, and that's all right too. But I think it, I think it's much more of an interior journey than an exterior one. And whether or not I feel like all of me belongs with God, all belongs in a community, which honestly I feel like has a lot to do with whether or not we're in the, um, in terms of how we relate to. God, divine, how we relate to any kind of community, are we able to tell the truth of ourselves or of our story? Because you have to yeah. censor everything. Well, then how at home can you be? But I think like when mm -hmm. you're able to bring your your full self and uh and and kind of tell the truth, which doesn't of course mean like, I don't know, like it like in being community people. I I I don't want that to sound like everybody's just saying all the worst things they feel to each other. Sure. I mean, that's what it's about. But just like, just right, a kind right. of fundamental, like attempting to live in a way that's, that's honest. I think that matters. But yeah, I, I am coming to believe that 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 sense of home is much more in here. And that it's only when we find that sense of home in God, I think that's really, I, I truly think it's not just a riff. I think that's much more what Jesus is talking about when he talks about going to prepare a place for us uh, yeah. in my father's house are many rooms as much as, and I'm all for like some kind of a heaven afterlife. But I think the immediate context there is much more Jesus and going to the cross that there is now like a place in God that's opened up where all of yeah. us have a space and you can be at home in the space. That's more like the place that I'm coming to find. Yeah. What's so cool about that is that now, as I find myself in all these spaces that are unfamiliar to me, I feel like I'm way more integrated, way more whole, way more at home than I was when I was in, like, I'm always in the same familiar location that I yeah. know. I might miss some of those familiar comforts sometimes, but still at the end of the day, I feel like that I feel much more at home with this more integrated gathered self, even yeah. when I'm in random places, if that makes right. any kind of sense. No, it know. does. You're at home. <laughs> 
regardless of where you are physically sometimes. That's right. And okay, you touched on a little bit this idea of, I was thinking home accommodates authenticity. Mm. Where regardless of how good or not good your church or spiritual community may be, you can judge a lot of it based on how it handles and accommodates your completely authentic self with your questions yeah. and your doubts. Yeah. And some days, you know, I'm not really, I don't really like God right now for whatever reason. I don't really feel like I'm not really, it doesn't really feel worthwhile to, to pray or to reach out to him. Or I really don't, I have a lot of questions about how this structure works in this church. Mm. I don't really like how that works. How is that taken? Mm-hmm. Because that's your authentic self. And if you're being in any way, I don't know if force is the right word, but feeling the pressure to not show those sides of you, then it's only home to the extent of how much of yourself you're able to actually show in it. That's right. It may be home for that 70% of you. Sure. But it may not be fully home because you're not showing 100% of yourself. So clearly you don't fit fully because to fit fully would mean you're able to give all of it. Mm-hmm. So I love that you touched on, on a bit of that, and I, I, I limited that thought. Mm. Yeah, and it's so like, it, I love that, well, I just love what you're, the whole thing about what a community does with your questions and your doubts, because, I don't know, just even, come, I'm thinking about this all the time right now, that this thing about elders is so, yeah, just ringing in my ears, the sense of like, man, there's really no reason for spiritual leaders, if they're healthy, to ever be threatened by anything, the way that good parents are threatened right. by Anything. Right. I was just with uh, my, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this, my good friend I was with that I did this, um, uh, some training for chaplains. Uh, his family's so beautiful. And his son right now is basically decided he's an atheist. And he's like the sweetest, yeah. most humble. And like to see like their dynamic, it's just, oh, his dad just adores him and they yeah. talk about everything and they're best friends. And, but I mean, his father's, you know, functionally a minister and just to see the what right. a gorgeous relationship they have but of course he's not threatened by the journey his son is on like there's if, if you are secure in your own place in god and faith whatever that looks like for you then there's really no reason that somebody yes. else's journey should make you feel threatened and then unfortunately in a lot of christian communities that's what we see is that people perceive like your questions your experience your feelings as being some kind of a threat, some kind of an existential threat to what they have, where it's like, no, actually, you you get to be you. You get to go on believing the same things you've always believed. No one's telling you you can't. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, if you perceive someone else's question, someone else's journey as like as a threat to your own, well, of course, then everything that happens like that is treated as like a, oh, how can we shut this down? We got to lock it. How can we lock everything down? It just becomes like it, it's turned into a crisis every time. That's huge. The the not being threatened spiritually or authoritatively, like not being yes. threatened because of someone's questions or where they are in life or their walk with God or whatever. And it feels like when you ask a question about life or God or the Bible, mm-hmm. for some reason it's taken as a question of your authority yeah. to leaders. And that can lead to a whole bunch of things such as them feeling like they have to give you a definitive answer on something which sure. leads to a whole bunch of other damages if they give you definitive that this is not true or healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like people, leaders feel like they, 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 they have to give you the answers because if they don't have an answer and you're asking the question still, we have this unresolved doubt here in this section of our church that needs to be squelched because otherwise it's going to fester. That's right. And it doesn't work like that. That's, yeah. not, that's not how it works. I love 
that your friend with with his kid who who's who's an atheist. It's God's got him regardless. Absolutely. He may not believe in him and and whatever. Okay, but he's if if he, as a as a minister believing that God exists. If you believe God exists, then you believe God has him. So yeah. if you don't believe, he's, okay, fine. If you believe yeah. he exists, then you, then tied to that unseparably is the idea that God's got him. Right. And out of that comes the, the freedom to be like, oh, okay, I love you. Awesome. Great. And nothing yeah. changes. And that, in the mindset of somebody who is faithful and desires that relationship for his kid, mm-hmm. that the, the, the number one way you can assure that he never will want to mm. is by treating him as the, the result of just his faith and his where that's he it. is with God. Because he'll it. feel immediately like, oh, that's, oh, I see, Dad. That's what's, worth, what's valuable about me. Not me. It's, it's what I believe about this. Mm-hmm. And that happens way too much in churches. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. kids feel and friends feel like, oh, yes. what's valuable about me is whether I adhere to this or not, or whether I dive in with you in this. If not, then, oh, you're just going to throw me out and not really care because I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not with you on the journey, I guess. But no, you That's are right. on the journey, no matter where you are. We're just different places in the journey, and we're finding it in different roads. That's right. Austin, it was so moving to me because I could feel this not when his son was in the room, but also when he wasn't. He's so genuinely proud of him. It's like, I'm so mm. proud of my son for being honest about his convictions and his own like like he's so proud of him and it's so that's this is the thing that i feel like no one not no one but that so many folks just don't seem to get i mean if you go on a date with somebody and they say love me or else check please (laughs) it's over you understand a psychopath Mm -hmm. but yet the, the the way that no one seems to grasp that this fundamental relation relational dynamic that if you make somebody feel like they have to choose something my uh, one of my best friends, Joel, was preaching a few weeks ago, and he said something in the sermon. I mean, it it wrecked. I mean, I almost I had to pull the car over. It hit me so hard because it came from yeah. such a sincere and authentic place. He was talking specifically about scripture and people in the community who were they'd have these conversations about their struggle with scripture. And he said in the most I'm not going to do it justice, but he said in the most beautiful, elegant way. He said, "Like, look, if, if when you pick up the Bible, if you're not able to see within the scriptures, if you're not able to see love." beauty if you're not able to see the goodness of god if you're like if essentially if you're not able to receive god's love in this way right now i want to encourage you put it down for right now put it down for a minute and it was so wild because by the end of it i thought this is the most compelling invitation to read scripture i've ever heard (laughs) it's telling people that if it's not landing right now that you don't have to and i'm like yeah it made me want to read the bible that day and i realized like he wasn't trying to do some weird reverse psychology thing, but how no. strange it is. You know, how many sermons I've heard, like, you got to read and pray, read and read and pray. And when mm-hmm. this person, in, in such a sincere, sincere, beautiful way, said, Hey, if right now you're not able to connect to God's loving presence with this, maybe you should put it away. All of a sudden, like, Oh, well, if you tell me I don't have to, maybe I would want to. <laughs> I can right. actually choose it. <laughs> right. No, that's such, I mean, oh, that's so good because. You know, I hesitate to tell somebody, oh, you're interpreting that scripture wrong. Oh, you're reading that wrong. But if you're reading any scripture, and I I, I am confident enough to say this, if you're reading any scripture in the Bible and you're not feeling love, kindness, acceptance, whatever, grace, then you are reading it wrong. Yeah. You're interpreting the context wrong because every scripture 
supports that thesis of that's right. unending that's love, right. undying grace. Never like yes. that's it. That's the entire thing. Because it's all the answer is always oh read it more. Oh spend more time mm-hmm. reading. Oh read this scripture. Mm-hmm. Oh read this book. Read this one over there. Mm-hmm. No, take a break. Come back to it because mm-hmm. if you're not gaining love, peace, kindness, whatever, all the whatever. If you're not yeah. gaining those virtues then unfortunately the Bible doesn't have much to offer you because that's, that's what right. it's offering. That's right. It's offering historical stuff too, if you want that. But if you're looking sure. for, for life-giving virtues and you're not getting love, grace, kindness, peace, then you're not, there's not much more in that pot to offer you because that's what it's gaining. That's what, that's what you're, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And here, put it down, come back to it when you, when you want. It's like, oh, wow, I kind of mm-hmm. want to because I'm not being forced mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's uh, fantastic. Mm. Going back to the idea of home, yeah, you, you talk about home, and you also talk about community. What is the connection between home and community? We've, we touched on it a bit, but mm. anything else you want to add to that? What's, what's, what's the dynamic connection between home and community? It's such a good question, especially since in talking about home today, I feel like I landed more on the way that home is more interior than it is exterior. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... You can find home alone. Um, we all of us are only going to be at home within a constellation of relationships, and so I do think that's important. I, you know, part of what in the book I really set out to say two things that I mean is a both and. I hope it doesn't sound like a contradiction because on the one hand, I feel like I put a lot of weight down early on. It's one of my favorite details of the story. All we know about this conversation is uh, that the two disciples are having on the road to Emmaus is apparently just full of grief. It's heartache, it's despair. They're sharing their loneliness. The beauty of that to me is that as they're walking away from Jerusalem and ostensibly, as my riff on it is, from God, they're becoming a new community and sharing the sacrament of their pain and their grief. Mm -hmm. And that's where I talk about things like how, you know, this is why oftentimes people have more authentic experiences of community in a bar than in a church, because if you, right. if you have any honest conversation can break you open to something holy. Yeah. And whereas, you know, sometimes Christian communities are the last place that you want to do that. So I yeah. think like sharing pain, sharing grief, sharing rage, like all of those things are important. I think it gets you out the driveway. It's where so many of us start on this journey, but something I found myself saying later in the book that was, if not, yeah, I think I would call that a surprise. I think it would certainly not have been something I set out to say, but it's something more I've learned from having a number of years now of trying to carve out this kind of work is that as much as it's important to share grief and pain and despair and loneliness and longing and all the things, I do think that any community is also based on shared joy and there's yes. a reason why if like if if all a community is now I'm not not you don't need to rush through stages there's stages of grief stages of anger like all those things but if all it ever is is we're going to spend 5 years and all we're going to do is talk about how awful that place was back there well at some point okay yeah. well what's what's giving you life now is it gardening <laughs> you know yeah. are you reading a book is there music right now that's like hopeful cuz i think building community also too has to be has to be built on sharing joy and ultimately by the Mm -hmm. end of the story this new community is built not only of the shared grief these disciples had but the shared joy now they have it at a resurrection so i think being able to ask the question not only how can we be honest about the things that bring us grief and sorrow and all that but you know if you've been in a community if you're walking alongside people doing a lot of grieving you actually might feel guilty 
to talk mm-hmm. about the things that are bringing you joy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, I'm not as sad today. Am I allowed to say that? You're what? <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> what yeah. if I'm not? What if I'm not? And, and hey, all these things are important. But what if today I'm not in utter angst mm-hmm. about all the devastating things that are happening politically and socioeconomically and like whatever? Yeah. What if today I'm in a good mood? Can I talk about that? You know? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Is that accepted too? Because Back to authenticity. It's where you are authentically yes. at. Yes. And where you're authentically at wavers between people at different times. That's right. And, I f- okay, I feel like on every episode of this podcast, at some point I make a meta- reference to a movie, but I always do. You were saying joy and grief, joy and sadness and sorrow. I thought of the, uh, the Pixar movie Inside Out, where the whole through line at the end is that joy and sadness coexist in a beautiful yes. dynamic. Yes. Um, Because the whole movie is about joy trying to Mm. get all the sadness away. No, no, no. When sadness is present, then joy permeates deeper and fuller because it's authentic and not trying to act like it's always good. If it's always good, then it's always good, I guess. But if if true sadness and sorrow exist and that depth is lowered, then the height is also increased when joy is present because it's fuller. That's right. And being able to accommodate that in a community, in a home, in the people around you is so necessary. Yes. To understand and fully experience God, but also community. Mm-hmm. And yourself. <laughs> That's right. That's right. While it's important to be critiqued, sitting around talking about white evangelicalism for years at a time can't be all that you do. It's like, also, yeah. okay, if, if, if you know this isn't working, it's that's great and it's fine to say that but what is working for you now where are you finding life and even mm. if you feel like you're having to cobble together some things now let's talk about what that looks like i just think to your point which is uh, awesome which i think just says it perfectly it's about authenticity we need to be able to talk about the whole journey both yeah. where we're what's brought us pain but also what's creating a sense of newness and where there's goodness and uh, laughter right now too so i just think being able to name all those things is equally important and it's why it's sad when people go from a community where they feel like they have to shut off one part of themselves to then to another where it's like now i feel like if i'm not uh, if I don't spend every day like uh, racked with guilt about all the injustice or like whatever, you know, like th- there's no yeah. way to talk about like, oh, hey, um, something good happened at work or I've, uh, there's a new right. relationship. It's like, oh, are there people to, who would celebrate with me when something good happens here? You know, that because that stuff still matters, too. No, that's that's it's so true. OK, so going back to larger idea of loneliness, mm. do you have any final thoughts for anyone who may be in a place of. I said, quote unquote, transition between spiritual communities or faith contexts and are feeling the effects of loneliness, uncertainty, and distance from God. Just overall thoughts for them. I think the thing I would most want to say, well, first of all, is that part of what's so fascinating about that kind of loneliness is that I think most people are in that kind of transition in one way or the other. I feel like it's Mm -hmm. most of the conversations I have these days. But weirdly enough, we don't necessarily find each other in the same town and the same zip code, like in the supermarket or something, because we don't just go around having these conversations all the time. Um, But I just I would really encourage people, one, to to continue sharing their story, because I think exactly it's it's in bravely sharing your own story that you're going to find other people who are sharing their story where a new community can be found. And um, I think the. 
the the invitation I would want to offer as well, which is sort of where the book lands, is this whole th- this whole idea of looking again at your life in the same way the disciples all of a sudden one moment at this meal and oh wait the right. the stranger uh, turns out to be Jesus. I just feel like those moments are kind of tucked into things all the time where literally in a matter of seconds, our perspective can be so radically altered. And so where it can feel like, you know, how on earth could I ever go from this place of just complete desolation, alienation, isolation, despair into something good uh, might not be nearly as far of a leap as you think, because yeah, I think there's just these moments that we have where all of a sudden things light up and we just see differently. Even some of the painful things it doesn't mean they're not painful, but we yeah. see them from a different perspective. We can see growth and change in ourselves. We see beauty around us that we didn't see before. So I just think like just being awake and even open to the possibility that maybe, maybe God has already been at work in yeah. ways that we haven't, we just haven't been awake to yet. Because I really do think a lot of times when we're like, oh, when am I going to see it? It's like, uh, it. I think a lot of it might already be there in some form that again, yeah. not to repeat, but just as it's the form might be so radically different. We just haven't recognized it yet. So maybe just being open to seeing the, the world from a different perspective in that way for me is just everything right now. The The pit of, and this is not said in a way to invalidate, it's to validate. It's sometimes we can feel like we're in a deep, deep pit and mm-hmm. completely valid. And you, and it's, Absolutely. But oftentimes you'll realize that the pit isn't as deep as we may think it is. That's right. And it doesn't take nearly as much of us to be able to climb out if we say, okay, I think I'm ready to get out of this. Yeah. And not only that is that in that pit, God's not at the top pulling his hand out to us. He's down there with us, pushing us. That's right. That's right. right. We don't need to look up and grab him to pull us out. Mm -hmm. We look next to us. He's like, okay, time to go. Uh, Let's go. Let's climb out of here. He's there with you. And that's a huge thing. You, you never, it's not, oh, I'm by myself until I decide to grab on a God. It's no. Right. Whether I like it or not, God's here with me. <laughs> that's you know, right. which I think is very reassuring for most people. It's, it's, oh, he's here. I just need to get to the point where I don't need to get to the point, but I'll, I'll find myself at a point where, oh, I can look around and go, oh, there he is and recognize it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And it's not much, so we can feel kind of sometimes depleted in loneliness. Mm-hmm. Don't have much to give when you when you're hurt, when you experience stuff in the church and you, and you leave and stuff like that. You can feel it's like you don't have much energy to exert on on trying to grow or trying to find my way out of it because I'm just kind of here right now. Right, and that's okay because God's right next to you. You don't even need to take a yes. step. He's right there. Yes, stay seated. He's right there. Just look. Let's just turn your head and look. And yes, he's there. Yes, and he, doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't need you to climb mountains. He just needs you to talk. He wants to talk. That's mm. like, which I think is a lot. A lot of pressures off. I'm talking about like through, through my own experiences. A lot of pressures off because I can just be where I am and I have to get to God. Just realize yeah. that, oh no, He's where I am. Very cool. That's right. And this, the, the, I love that all those images of like the way the space can transform. The pit may not be as deep as you think. The pit might even, in a moment, could feel like a sanctuary. And instead of this kind of sure. like, oh, I need to get out and do these things. Maybe there's a reason this has been a time in life for kind of laying low and for mm-hmm. quiet and for solitude. And maybe instead of being a place of angst, maybe that could become like a place of rest. Those kind of little pivots where yeah. it's like, all of a sudden, this isn't necessarily a place of torment because we precisely because we do see that God is with us as opposed yes. to have abandoning us to wherever we are. That just, that's massive. Oh, that's great. It's sometimes 
God leads us to that pit because he knows all the noise going on out there, you're never going right. to be able to see me. And, and you feel our hearts looking for us. It's like, oh, here, let me make it easier for you. Let me eliminate yeah. some of the stuff going around you, the distraction. Put you here where all there is is me. That's Look around. Right. It may hurt for a little while, but then when you realize that I'm there, the joy and the healing you're going to get is going to be way more than you ever had. Absolutely. Absolutely. So final question here. This is the question I ask mm. every guest on the podcast. This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which is a metaphor I use to mean that the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. What's one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn mm -hmm. or gain a new understanding of? <laughs> the real honest answer to that, and this is permeating everything right now, I can't, I, I kind of feel like I can't unsee it, that the, the gospel that I think so many of us believe, whether or not you're in some sort of, uh, like I know in my corners of charismatic uh, Christianity, you know, there is sort of like a prosperity gospel sure. proper that's like yeah. name it and claim it and it's big cars and Rolexes <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But I don't really mean that. I really feel like at the end of the day, so much of our faith systems are so thoroughly built on this idea. If your life is working and you have stuff and there's money in the bank account, if you have some kind of success, it's because you're doing it right. And if right. things are not working out, then it's because you're doing it wrong. And at the end of the day, like that definition of success is so like, it just permeates everything. Like I, I, I'm, I'm shocked now at how much I feel like I, I just kind of see that in everything, some version of, um, Oh, you think you're hearing from God? You think this is what God says? Well, life doesn't seem to be working out great for you. That seems pretty hard. Like so. Yeah. Uh, well, look at look at all the influence that this person has. Look at look at look at the favor. They're mm -hmm. they're at the table with with powerful people. Like, how could you possibly question that? It's like those assumptions about who's blessed and who's not just yeah. run so deep into everything. So I just feel like at every turn right now, I'm being confronted like with that and just how much I, I don't believe anymore that how you're doing, whether or not you have influence, yeah. uh, amount of followers, uh, yeah. access that, that God basically has nothing to do with any of that. None of that has anything to do with faithfulness or fidelity or whether or not you're where you're supposed to to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I feel like it takes a really long time to unlearn that because those assumptions sure. just go down so, just just so deep. Sometimes you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, um, yeah. being true to yourself, true to your community, true to like everything that you know to do and nothing works out. And right. that does not mean that, <laughs> doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, that and that leads to so much disillusionment because people are saying, "What well, right. I did everything you, I was supposed to be doing, I did everything the church, my church told me I need to be doing, and look where I am. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong?" And it goes back to you, and then, and it can go to, "Where is God in this?" It's like, no, He's there, right. and God is. What we talked about this before is God is not a one size fits all. It's That's not right. this worked for me, then therefore it'll work for you. It's no mm -hmm. God defines success for each of us and failure, therefore, in many different ways. Right. And we can't decide because externally, we may not have this much money in the bank. We may not have this, whatever, that we're failing or that God's not there or that whatever. Because it's not what it is at all. It's not yes. defined by yes. those things. 
unfortunately, <laughs> but fortunately right. at the same time. Yeah. Because that'd be really easy to track. But also, right, right. it would be a lot shallower of an experience. Yes. But no, I love that you said that. That's really, that's really, really, really true. I resonate, by the way, with the, with the fact that that feels a little bit unfortunate, too, because I and I think that's why it's taken me so long to learn it, is that if any version of that is true, then there's a system to manipulate. Then you've got right. levers to pull. If Definitely. the world is much wilder than that and God is wilder than that and sometimes stuff just happens and everything isn't as simple as, you know, whatever, if you put the right amount of change into the coke right. machine then you get the here's the product you get yeah I, I i still don't know that i i love living with that level of uncertainty but i think i am coming to like yeah i think it's a lot better though than the weight the responsibility yeah. of again needing to make things happen order my own universe yeah yeah, uh, yeah it's it's better but it is wilder and so i that's why i think it's taken me so long to learn to live yes. fully released of that sense of control you know the so. pressure's off because it's not on us to earn this or yeah or deserve it it's that's right we're not in charge of doing these things to, in order to get this. There's no exchange happening. It's, yes. No, we're all along for the ride, and God's got yeah, us. Yeah, that's and he'll right. He'll lead us where we that's need right. to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jonathan, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm so glad you got to come on for this episode because in just last episode, I told you this, someone in our conversation brought up your book randomly. And I was like, wow, you know what? As a matter of fact, He's going to be on next episode. So it's so cool that you got to be on this episode. I love the Aww. conversation. I love your book. If anyone's interested in reading The Road Away from God or his other books, I will be linking. I'll, I'll link all your stuff down below. I'll link your Instagram. I'll link your books. I'll link your podcast. I'll link it down below. If you want to enroll in his university, I'll link that down below too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, start that between now and tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's, it was super great having you on. Oh, this was beautiful. What a what a privilege. And I love just the sense of spirit at work and all these things. This has been so good for my own soul. Thank you, Austin. It's been such an honor. Guys, I will see you next episode. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.